Pastor Caleb has done a great job of pointing our attention to the need to identify the center of the target. And um, we are all in agreement that you need to be able to hit the target when it comes to understanding the gift of God that comes only through the atonement of Jesus Christ. There's no other place to find it. It is only through Jesus. If there is a hell, like the scriptures tell us, the way out is through the atonement of Jesus Christ. If there's a way to life, Jesus said, I came that they might have life and might have it to the full. It's through the atonement. Um, but there's another illustration that I want to give you that will help you to understand where we're going today. Um, a number of years ago, my brother, um, it helps if you turn this thing on. A number of years ago, my brother lived in London and we had the opportunity to go to all the major sites in London and we also visited Windsor Castle. And I was very much impressed with the royal collection of tapestries. And more so than paintings and other things, these incredibly beautiful um, pictures of uh, life and of history made out of silk and woven cloth and with the greatest dyes and, and pictures of their day. Uh, one of the particular things in the collection was a whole series of tapestries that had to do with the life of Abraham and many other biblical themes that were there. But the beautiful thing about these tapestries is if you look very close at them, you begin to realize that the picture is made up of all these threads of beautifully dyed cloth and beautifully dyed threads and ink, taken years, many of them, to manufacture and to make. Uh, we want to take a look at the scriptures this morning, and I find the scriptures are very much like a tapestry. They throw at us the whole picture of what God is doing from Genesis to the book of Revelation. But sometimes you've got to pick at the threads and take a closer look to just appreciate the blues and the hues and the different colors that are there. And that's what we want to try to do this morning. Because the atonement leads to what we're going to talk about this morning. And that is this, that God wants us to live a life worthy of his calling. And it's interesting that when the Apostle Paul in the book of Ephesians starts to talk about that worthy life, the first thread that catches your mind, like one of the blue threads in the tapestries or one of the reds or some of the gold and silver that was even woven into them at many times, one of the first threads that he throws out there for us is one of the priorities that we're to seek is unity in his kingdom. Listen to these words from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Now, I'm not going to pretend that this is the only thing that God wants you to be working on, because after the Apostle Paul lays the foundation of hitting the target with the atonement in Ephesians chapter 1 and chapter 2, and then talking about how it applies to some of the particular problems of the Ephesians in chapter 3, we find in 4, 5, and 6, he now talks about the details of the Christian life and how to live this life worthy of God and worthy of this calling that is born of the atonement that's been given to us in Jesus Christ. And I want to look, I want to take it apart. Uh, anybody who studies data and anybody who says knows that there's a concept called granularity. The average person doesn't want to know all the details of something. So just tell me that if I get a vaccine, 65% of my body is going to be working okay for the next few days. And then if I get two shots, it'll be 95% after two weeks. That's all I need to know. 
But the person who wants the granularity is going to start to talk about, well, how's every different um, race doing? How's every different um, male-female doing? How's the adults and the children doing? How's it all broken down? How about the geographic groups? Is there anything else we have to be aware of? How about those that are close to one another, those that are far away? How's this vaccine working compared to that vaccine? That's all granularity. And so we're going to take a look at just this one thread in the tapestry. We're going to try to take it apart just a little bit and give you some granularity to say, okay, if unity is something I'm to strive after and to seek for, how do I get there and what am I supposed to do? Because the Apostle Paul, in throwing it out as one of the first things in his whole talk about living a life worthy of God, he says it's something that ought to be on your mind. And before we even get any further into this scripture, um, I have maintained for many years in my pastoral ministry and in my walk with God that one of the biggest problems we have with Bible study is, is that we never get to the end result. And what I mean by that is, is that it's a great thing to know all the doctrine and all the truth. <clears throat> it's a great thing to study the Word of God and to have your theology all worked out and your charts all in line and crossed all the T's and dotted all the I's. But if you never get to the place where you're asking God, what am I supposed to do with the scripture that I just read? What does it mean for me today? What do I have to change in my life? And how am I supposed to do better at it? And the one example that I keep laying before the people of Gateway Church through the years is, is you know that God told you to love one another. But how many of you get up in the morning and ask God, how am I supposed to love better today? It's what the beginning and introduction to the psalm says, when I meditate on your law day and night. In other words, I take your scripture, I believe it, I trust in it, and I say, God, what does it mean for me today? How does it affect my life as I interact with people? And so Paul here says, I, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, and with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. The first thing we're going to find as we seek some granularity in what has been thrown out to us today, as we seek to understand what God wants us to do in the Scripture is, is that God says it is okay to show the soft side. Um, many people have said in their recollection of last year that 2020 was a year to forget. And if that's the thing you're going to say about 2020, I would say to you that 2021 is well on its way to becoming a year that you should forget. But one of the things that's so troubling is not just the pandemic, it's not just the social unrest and the division in our nation. One of the things that has bothered me so much is, is that the scripture talks so much about certain qualities and nobody's calling for it to happen in our nation. Everybody's asking you to have a hard heart. Everybody's asking you to crush those that you disagree with. Everybody's asking you to protest and to loot and to burn, and, I, and it's being drowning out those few people that are saying, let's just show a little bit of a soft side. But for the believer, he doesn't have an option. Listen to these words. Paul, as a prisoner of the Lord, and Paul's writing from prison, so if anybody had a right to be angry about something, he'd been thrown in jail for preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. He would one day in the Neronian persecutions lose his life to the, to the, because he preached the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so Paul says as a prisoner of the Lord, I'm urging you to walk in a manner worthy of the God which called you. And I want you to do it with humility and gentleness. Uh, I don't know about you, but um, 
I've given some thought to what I want written on my tombstone. And we've sat around the table sometimes as a family and said, what do you want written on yours and what's all of that thing? There aren't a lot of people that ask for gentleness to be their mark when they leave. And isn't it interesting when Paul gets to the application portion of Philippians and he talks about rejoicing in the Lord and worshiping Him that one of the things he then challenges the people to do is let your gentleness be evident to all. So if you're meditating on this scripture about humility and gentleness, do you ever get in your car and, and just start the engine up and say, God, how gentle can I be? Um, can I be a little bit slower about where I'm going and not look at everybody else out there with where they're going as if they're in my way? But could there be some gentleness? When I walk into the church on Sunday morning and I have my responsibility, my teaching to do, my work to do, and, and trust me, you know, a pastor prepares each Sunday morning to get up here and preach, and he gets bombarded before and after the service with this concern and that concern and all the other things, and you have to learn to be gracious, and you have to learn to be humble, that even though you have something important to do that day, there's a lot of other stuff going on in the minds of everybody else, but do you walk through the doors of the church, and you say, I want to be gentle today, and I want to realize that it's not all about me, it's about humility as well. Let each of you in Philippians 2, as he talks about this need for humility and gentleness, look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is, in, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And so Paul says, not only do I want you to follow my example as a prisoner of the Lord, but Paul challenges us to look to the greater example, which was Jesus Christ. And I find one of the most haunting phrases in all of Scripture are the words of Jesus as he's on his way to the cross and as he hangs on the cross. And who is it with nails in his hands and nails in his feet and the persecution that he had suffered that had so brutally torn and beaten his body could dare look at the crowd that was spread out below them and say, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. How many of us live our lives with that kind of an attitude? How many of us enter the church of Jesus Christ with that kind of an attitude? Jesus was on the cross looking out only for the interest of others. He was out there seeking to serve. And have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, because he did it for you. Are you willing to show the soft side? Are you willing to be humble and gentle? Um, I was never very large in stature as I was growing up, and I was always one of the smallest couple of people in all of the grades that I had growing up. And so I didn't pick a lot of fights because I knew if I picked the fights, I'd lose them. But it was amazing, though, God had given me a quick mind, and you start to use your mind to destroy people rather than your fists and your body and those kind of things. And I was good at tearing people down. I was good at talking behind people's backs. I was good at mocking my teachers when they weren't looking. I was good at doing all those kind of things. And even in the church of Jesus Christ, we tend to do the same things. We brag about not throwing a fist in our church services. But yet we will talk about other people. We will fight against other people. We will put them in their place. And God has said this, are you willing to be humble and gentle? Are you willing to show your soft side and to serve like Jesus served? The next thing we find in this particular thread that we're looking at in Ephesians chapter 4 
is that we're to bear with one another patiently. We find this in verse 2, that not only is there to be humility and gentleness, but with patience we're to bear with one another in love. There's one primary reason why the Apostle Paul writes this in the Scriptures, and that is because humankind in its fallen nature and the sin that rips us as who we are, we just aren't always going to agree. And let's assume we all... We're on the same page. Isn't it amazing how you can get in the same room and try to problem solve with somebody and you don't all agree? And so when it comes to the church of Jesus Christ, everybody's not going to agree. And I'm not talking about the details of doctrine here. There's a good reason to agree about the things that God says are at the core of what we believe. Of all things, the atonement that we've spoken of for the last three weeks, leading us up to that need to know that there's salvation in no other person than Jesus Christ and what he accomplished on the cross. But... Are we willing to have disagreements within the church? We, we have become in the United States and in Western society church shoppers. I often find people saying, well, I want a preacher that can preach this way, or I want a church that feels this way. And, and I, I have to tell you that there's good reason for that. We've had pews in here up until um, the pandemic hit, and then we ripped them all out. And recently I attended a funeral at a Catholic church, and as I sat there in the church, I said, boy, am I glad we got rid of those pews because these feel an awful lot better, don't they? But you see, it was never a reason to stay home or never a reason not to come. It was never a reason to cause dissent or disagreement within the church of Jesus Christ, but we fight all these battles. We fight battles over worship, and we fight battles over the style of music, and we fight battles over who it was. I can remember as a young person, saved during the Jesus movement, walking into church with my long hair, and there was this deacon that I did respect with all of my heart in the Lord. But I remember the day he grabbed a hold of my, with his fist my hair and he pulled me down. He was only five foot tall. And he pulled me down and he said in my ear, he says, when are you going to get this stuff cut? And uh, the only redeeming thing about that man is I knew he prayed for me faithfully. And I said, someday. But the reality is, is we fight so many battles that God hasn't given us to fight. And have you ever stopped and asked the question, who does God want you to bear with? People are always coming to me saying, you can't believe who said this or who did that or who did what. Bearing with one another in love. And by the way, this is one of the secrets to a happy marriage. is not always agreeing, but learning to bear with one another when you disagree. It's an incredibly beautiful tool. And to do it with patience, meaning over and over and over and over again. Because the sinful life will eventually have the potential to destroy any relationship in the church, in the marriage, in the community, in the nation, and in the world. John chapter 13, Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you. And remember, this is after Jesus set this example of washing the disciples' feet telling them that after having loved those that were in the world that were his own, he was now going to show them the full extent of his love. But a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this all people will know that you're my disciples, if you have love for one another. And isn't it interesting that Jesus, in all the time that he was left, and he spoke a lot about unity in these final chapters of, of the book of John. He spoke in his prayer about the need to be one with the Father and one with Him and one with each other. By this, all people will know that you're my disciples 
if you have love for one another. And so as we seek to figure out what Gateway Church is going to look like after this merger, when we put together all the ministries, when we decide what we're going to do, are we going to start to also see some of this tapestry working its way through everything that we do? Is there going to be love for one another made evident to everybody who walks through the door of the church? Will they leave any given Sunday and said, boy, that, those group of people in there really love one another? Will there be humility and patience as we bear with one another? In Ephesians chapter 4, the apostles also says that there is a need for truth, but there's a need to speak it with love. And what he means here is, is, is that out of concern for the other person and not just out of your concern to say what is right, speaking in the truth and love, we're to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When every part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Um, we homeschooled our kids, and I got involved in a lot of science experiments that I wish I had never fully attempted, but we had to dissect a chicken at one point in time. So we went to the butcher, and we got ourselves a chicken. And um, I realized then how why butchers need good, sharp knives. Because you start tearing apart the chicken, and it just doesn't come apart that easy. And isn't it interesting that this is the picture of the body of Christ, that it's joined together and held together by every joint and every part that works properly. And all of Ephesians 4 from this point on talks about how the body is to build itself together, that God gave gifted people to the church to build it up so that everyone could do the work of ministry, so that God gave us instruction as to like dirty clothes, what we're supposed to get rid of and what we're supposed to take off. It talks about those things that we're supposed to put on. And then at the end of the chapter, he says this, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted. There's the soft side again. Forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. And we need to be those that forgive one another. Uh, there's a quote from C.S. Lewis that has troubled me when I read it. To be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. And one of the plagues in our nation right now is, is that people believe that there's some things that just are inexcusable. But for the church of Jesus Christ, forgiveness is to be given to anybody who seeks it. And we need to learn about that, especially for so much of the petty stuff that rises up when we think there's divisions within the church of Jesus Christ. And then what about this unity? Not only are we to bear with one another patiently, but we're to be eager for this unity. Uh, and by the way, let me go back and just say something more about the humility and gentleness. Um, I like the way the NIV translates the passage. It says, be completely humble and gentle. In other words, don't just take it out when you need it. Like when your kid has skinned their knee and you need to get down there and say, oh, you're going to be okay. And you gently pat them on the back. But be completely humble and gentle. And here, it gives us no wiggle room either. We need to be eager for unity. And so he says this, 
that eagerness to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. Have you ever tried to make a list of the things that you're really eager for? Um, my wife, I love some of the meals that she cooks. And when I smell them, I can't wait for dinner. It's time. Let's have dinner now. Uh, we, the other day, we were talking with my son and his wife who we had over. And we were talking about all the times we had chocolate pudding. And so I just thought to myself, man, I just want some chocolate pudding. And so for the next three, four days, I'm just saying, Kathy, have you ever thought about making some more chocolate pudding? And then she went up to Albany this weekend to be with the grandkids. And what did she leave me in the freezer and refrigerator? She left me six chocolate puddings, and it was wonderful. Uh, it just was beautiful. And I hate to tell her that I didn't follow the serving size. Um, but at any rate, are you eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace? Is it something you really look for? Is it something you long for? Is it something that you meditate on in the scriptures and what part you're going to play in making it happen? And then, finally, we're not only to be eager for unity, but we're to know the one true God and his salvation that is the foundation of it all. And the Apostle Paul couldn't have said it any clearer when he said, this is why unity is so crucial there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Don't seek to divide what God desires to pull together. Don't seek to push apart. There's enough reason for us to be divided as human beings as it is. We divide over everything possible. As a matter of fact, we have Baptists in our blood. But the Baptists have not done well at unity either. Um, I remember when I first went to seminary that um, my one professor said to me, he says, you know, there's more kinds of Baptists than there are any other people under the face of the earth. And uh, heaven's not going to be a divided place. It's going to be a place for anybody whose name's been written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And so what is it going to be the realization but it starts here that we realize that there's one body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. The Apostles' Prayer in the early part of Ephesians in chapter 1, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. And this is what he prayed that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. If you ever don't know what to pray for somebody, and even before you begin to pray anything else for them, this is a prayer for you. You need to be praying this for your kids, for your husband, for your wife, for your parents, for your community members around you, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, would give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation that we would know him, that the eyes of our hearts would be enlightened and that we would know the hope that comes only from him. And so this is the heart of unity. The heart that is worthy of God's calling seeks unity in his kingdom. And I'm asking you this week to take the challenge to sit there and say, God, what can I do better to seek unity in the church of Jesus Christ? Am I willing to show my soft side or do I have to be the one that always stands up 
and shows the hard side? Am I tearing people down behind their backs? Am I talking about them? Am I bearing with one another patiently? Am I eager for unity? Is it something I'm working for and longing for in the church of Jesus Christ? And do I base it on knowing the one true God and his salvation? Is that what I'm praying that others would know? This God that is my hope, this God that is my salvation, this God that is the only way, is that what I'm hoping for those that are around me? Let's pray. Father, I'm asking this morning that your blessing would be upon Gateway Church as we seek our way through this. May we show the world that we love one another. May we know you and the power of your salvation, the power of your resurrection. May we know what it means to find unity in Jesus Christ. And I pray, Father, that we would be a church that is known as one that are always coming together and may the only reason that we split apart is because one day we want to send a group out to plant another church someplace, the church of Jesus Christ. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.